What's up, Night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, episode number 51, Eric Lopez. I am Jeff Sharon, along with Elo here on this uh, Wednesday evening, and I know it's late June, but I want to get another show up here in between our Black and Gold Banneret Award Show um, nomination show and our actual award show, which will be taking place um, over the weekend. We'll be releasing that by Monday. Lopez, did you vote yet? Absolutely. All right. So you got your votes in. Hey, I wanted to send a special thank you out to everyone who has clicked on our survey. So I had to – I thought I could do it on Twitter, and it turns out Twitter polls only accept a maximum of four answers. So I had to uh, quickly, late on Sunday night, uh, compose the polls on SurveyMonkey. Then I found out that the free survey monkey, you can only do a survey that has 10 questions, <laughs> and we had 11 nominees, so I just separated the team of the year one out, and then I put that in there, uh, embedded it in the post for the show. It's all up and running. We got a bunch of votes that are streaming in de- by the day, and um, thanks to all the fans who have voted, and if you haven't voted, make sure you do that. Um, hit up our last show, show number 50, the nomination show, and make sure you vote for the Black and Gold Banneret um, 2017 Postseason Awards, the Bannies, the first annual Bannies. So uh, lots to get to, believe it or not. But it'll be a fairly quick show because we do have some news to talk about. Make sure uh, you follow us, as always, on blackandgoldbanneret.com and also on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Also, you can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon and Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Don't forget to leave us a rating there. Uh, you can also subscribe on Google Play, uh, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. And also later on, we will uh, just put a final uh, wrap-up on the baseball season uh, with... Um, uh, with uh, Brian Murphy, uh, our resident baseball writer here, Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. Um, we'll just kind of wrap things up. We'll talk a little bit about the draft and how things ended up uh, for um, for UCF baseball finishing out. So um, lots to talk about, you know, with that. So we'll, we'll be getting to that in due time in a little bit. But first, we had a few stories that we wanted to just riff about here on this week, which turned out to be a fairly busy, um, turned out to be a fairly busy, uh, Newsweek for uh, UCF. But um, first thing I wanted to do is credit you, Eric Lopez, because you called this, and lo and behold, it came to pass. The uh, season opener between UCF and FIU, uh, which will be played um, at uh, Spectrum Stadium. This is, what it, this is what it's called now, Spectrum Stadium. Uh, and will be televised on CBS Sports Network has been moved to Thursday, August 31st. as the season opens on Thursday, August 31st at 6 p.m. It was initially scheduled for Saturday. They moved it up two days. You get the national television uh, on CBS Sports Network. Um, and, now, uh, and, and, so now we, and, and so now we have that Thursday night uh, start. UCF's no stranger to starting on the first Thursday night of the season. I remember George O'Leary's... Um, uh, or the opener to uh, the, the George O'Leary's second season, the 2005 season at South Carolina was on ESPN. That was on a Thursday night. And UCF's opened on Thursday nights before. Um, I, well, I know you're going to say this is a smart move, but what, do you think, what, what do you think was the final deciding factor? Well, I think it's real simple. I think the fact that the team you're playing in week two, Memphis, in your conference, 
is playing on Thursday night. And yeah. it's funny how this kind of works out where now UCF's playing at 6 Eastern. The reason they're playing at 6 o'clock is because CBS Sports Network had already picked up the Memphis game. And so what they did is they moved Memphis from 8 o'clock Eastern to 9 o'clock Eastern to fit the UCF game in. If you're so into a header on Thursday night on CBS right. Sports Network. Okay. One thing, one thing I don't like uh, from a superstitious standpoint, uh, two years ago, UCF played FIU Thursday night, 6 o'clock on CBS Sports Network, and we know how that ended up. So, uh, Let's just that throw that out and pretend nothing happened. It spooks me out. But <laughs> um, otherwise, look, I mean, you know, you, you would have had Memphis with a two-day advantage in preparation if you would have played on Saturday. Now, Brandon Helwig, our friend from UCFSports.com, has reported – that originally the game was going. If it stayed on Saturday, it was going to be a noon game. The TV part, a TV picked it up for a noon game, and I studied that Saturday TV slate. My guess is that CBS Sports Network, because they had a slot available at noon, was probably going to put that game at noon. It was either them or maybe ESPN News. Let's say. Mm-hmm. So the question now becomes: Forget, you know, do you really want to play at noon on Saturday? when you have uh, your next opponent already resting and chilling after playing two days earlier? Or do you move this game up to Thursday night and, and kind of e- even that out with Memphis? And at the same, and I would argue, actually, you're going to probably get more fans actually come out to the Thursday night game than you would have for a noon game on Saturday, which historically, as I'll break down in a moment, doesn't draw. So at the end of the day, I, I think it's a fine move. I'm very pro- uh, having games on Thursday and Friday nights because there's less competition. And I think you have more exposure and even more attention locally and even nationally to some extent. Uh, I don't buy into the theory that your Thursday night or Friday night games hurts you uh, except for a holiday weekend, which there's that one in November that we've talked about in the past. But well, this is a holiday weekend, though, because it's Labor Day weekend, though, right? Yeah, but the holiday's not till Monday. And actually, this actually works out because I think what happens is a lot of times there's going to be people that maybe would have gone to the game uh, that, that normally would go to the game, I should say, that maybe take off the weekend. They want to go out and get out of town. Students might leave town on Friday or Saturday to get out of town and spend time with the family on a long weekend, whereas the Thanksgiving weekend, that literally starts on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people are gone. So uh, I actually like it. I think they're fine, and I think they're going to draw. I have some numbers to prove this because I, okay. I know some people like crap. They, I mentioned the game two years ago, 6 o'clock, right? A lot of people are like, oh, man, I got to take time off work. I got to do this or that. They drew 39,184 in that game, and it was one. I remember I was there. It was one of the great student turnout. Last year, in comparison, it was a Saturday night game, Scott Frost's debut, Saturday night, right? Everybody loves Saturday night. Mm-hmm. 36,260. They actually drew more right. two years ago. Now, now in fairness, uh, you're coming off a winless season, so maybe there's less people that are interested, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. So we'll go. I, I, I looked up these numbers. Since 2008 in that stadium, because I don't really count the uh, the Citrus Bowl stadium years or completely different story. And I didn't I don't count 2007 because yeah. 2007 was a honeymoon year. So everybody went to every game. Right, and I remember in the Mac, like we played on all kinds of weird. I think I'm pretty sure we had a Tuesday night game at the Citrus Bowl one time when we were in the Mac. Right. So it was weird. Bad. But go ahead. So. This is some of the interesting attendance numbers, you know, Thursdays compared to Saturdays, et cetera. Uh, for example, p- 
prior to uh, oh, some notable Saturday games. 2014, Thursday night game against BYU, 41,547 was the attendance that year. Uh, Friday night that year against Tulsa, 35,323. Season opener against Akron. 2013, right? Thursday night, 35,115. They played Rutgers that year, Thursday night game, late in the year. 41,000. Yeah, 41,000 people. Yep. 41,000. Uh, you know, so, so you get the logist of kind of how they've been drawn. Now, in comparison, here are some Saturday noon games. Okay. This could have been a noon game. You realize since 2008, in noon games, UCF has played at home. You know how many times they've drawn over 40,000? Noon games since 2008 at home? Yeah. Noon home I, games. Noon home games. How many times they've drawn over how many? 40,000. Oh, I would say zero. Two. Okay. Which two the games? 20, oh, South the Carolina was probably. South Carolina game, which was all, you know, right. South Carolina, Steve Spurrier, you know, yada, yada. And the 2010 CUSA championship game against Tulsa, where they actually drew 41,045. There was actually empty seats, or about 3,000, yeah. 4,000. I remember that because I was in the post-game press conference, and one of the media people asked George O'Leary about not you know, empty seats, and was he disappointed by that? And I remember George's face was priceless because he just like, are, he's like, are you seriously asking me about this after I just won the championship game? <laughs> like, I could, he was not a bit thrilled at all. So my point is they don't draw. I'll give you an, ex uh, an example. Remember 2013, that magical year, they beat Louisville, they beat, uh, they come from behind and beat Louisville. They have beaten at Penn State. You know what they drew for a UConn game at noon after all that momentum? 37,000. I was there for that game, yep. 37. Noon, noon game Mi against UConn, and then we scored 60-some points on them, too. Yeah, exactly. Destroyed them. Missouri. Remember that one? 2012, how they hyped it up as the first SEC opponent yep. to play at stadium, yada, yada. 35,835. Last year, they hosted Cincinnati at noon, a game that locked up a bowl eligibility, all right? 30,346. Mm -hmm. uh, now, sometimes you get my weather, weather plays a factor in that. Sure. We had some, some well, rainy people days just here and there and some days that well, are it's not only that. oppressively hot. But, yeah, but, yeah, well, that's the main there. concern. That's the main concern. A lot of people complain about that. Um, can't really, so can't I, really do anything about that. I mean, the weather's the weather. What are you going to do? It's Florida. Right. So, but point is, that's a track record. They don't draw at noon. So, to me... Anybody that's complaining it, it, it can't complain because you, you're not coming out to those noon games. Now, uh, other numbers, uh, other op notes of openers since 2008. I'm going to go in order here. Mm -hmm. 2008, season opener Saturday against South Carolina State. They drew 42,126. Keep in mind that was coming off that Liberty Bowl year in 07. Uh, 2009, they played Sanford. It was a Saturday night game. Remember, they almost lost that game. Yeah. Brent Hodges comes in relief to win it. 38,719 for that game. 2010, their season opener, Saturday against South Dakota State, 34,373 in 2010. In contrast, that same year, they hosted UAB on a Wednesday night, 40,281. They actually drew better. That's, that's now, on and, a Wednesday night. Right. 
and the school did, you know, the part of that was a lot of student turnout. That's been yeah. the free, qu- consistent thing. And then that particular game, I remember they had a, they had a, some sort of thing going on where they allowed students from Valencia as well to go to those games. But hey, you know, whatever, get people in the, in the seats. That's right. fine with me. 2011 season opener, Charleston Southern, 39,752. 2012 season opener, Saturday against FIU, 40,000. Uh, 20, you know, I mentioned the Akron numbers. Uh, the the biggest season opening crowd they have had since 2008. Now remember, 2007 they opened against Texas. Duh, that was sold out. Right. It's Texas. Take that away. Their biggest season opening crowd they've had was in 2014 against Bethune Cookman, 44,510. Now a couple things there. Well, for that one was the, thing. You're getting the Bethune people coming down from Daytona, so that helps. Which, which brings up which brings up an interesting side question I'm going to ask you in a moment. But that, that's one, yes. Number two, that was the year after the Fiesta Bowl year. So obviously a lot of t- you know people were excited. You see a football, more tickets sold, yada, yada. The other thing was that was the third game of the season. Remember that year UCF opened in Ireland against Penn State mm-hmm. and then played Missouri. So I think people were just hungry to see football live, right? And, and it was a Saturday night 6 o'clock game against Bethune. Uh, so 44,000, uh, 2015, I mentioned the FIU was a season opener, 39,000. And then last year, 36,000. My point is I just ran through those numbers, Jeff. Did you notice a big difference between a Thursday night game and a Friday night game compared to a, yeah. a Saturday opener, for example, yeah, not a big, difference. in well, fact, well, if anything, it's, true. it's better, it's better on Thursday openers have been better than Saturday noon games. My thing on it is. Whatever gives the team the best chance to win, in my opinion, is the most important thing. Sure. And I think you go back to the idea that you know Memphis is playing, you know, and and this is a pretty even even shake because Memphis is at home. They're playing against uh, Louisiana Monroe in their first game, Sun Belt team that went four and eight last year. Monroe, um, you know, not overly good. You know, their only wins were against South Alabama, Georgia State, Texas State, and Southern. Um, FIU last year uh, was uh, four and eight as well. Now they're now here's the, here's the catch on that. They're going to be debuting the new coach in Butch Davis. So there's some so there's some news associated with um, with that game. I certainly believe so, and, and it's going to be at least interesting with Butch coming on uh, for FIU. You know, we talked about how tough that they're going to you know that that recruiting is going to get. Their only wins last year, uh, Florida Atlantic at UTEP, at Charlotte, and against Marshall uh, 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 at home. So, um, and they're and FIU now, of course, in Conference USA. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if that helps, you know, Scott Frost's team, you know, get in terms of getting prepared for the Memphis game, you get that extra, basically thirty six hours if it's a difference between. Memphis, or, or excuse me, if it's the difference between noon Saturday and you know Thursday evening, I'll take it, um, and that you know that works fine for me. And and the fans will show up to that game anyway because you know, I think there's going to be some high expectations heading into next year. So all right, so don't forget. Well, that. well but, oh, but ahead, here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, yes, I get it. I think you know the out of towners get hurt by this. I get it. You know, if you're if you're traveling. Uh, uh, on a Saturday from out of town or even late Friday. This hurts you. I agree. Well, I mean, to, to but, an extent, yeah, but but here's the thing. You know, we're heading into Labor Day weekend. Just start right. the weekend a day early. Take Friday off from work. Drive down sure. to the game when you get out on Thursday. 
and right. uh, and come enjoy the game and start your Labor Day weekend early. And and I think and the other thing is while yes you maybe you lose a few people from out of towners that would have gone to the game on Thursday. I think you pick up people that would not have gone to the Saturday game anyway. I always I think that's one of those things where kind of it evens itself out. Yeah. So I just I just want to end the myth and the whining about, oh, it's a weeknight game and it's Saturday and they moved it. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I've never have except, uh, you know, we can. Well, I'm sure we'll down the road. We'll talk again about the Thanksgiving weekend. That's a whole other story. Um, now, you brought this up, the Bethune-Cookman. I brought up the number, and you brought mm-hmm. up the big reason why the local people. It's an easy, what is it, 40 minutes away? Bethune, 45-minute I mean, drive, depending on where you are. From a business standpoint, you know, and, and I don't want to get into whether Division One teams should be playing FCS opponents, and there's a lot of reasons for it. Now, UCF's obviously playing Maine this year. Uh, that'll be the uh, fourth game of the season, they, uh, you know, and so forth. From a business standpoint, would UCF be better off scheduling a Bethune-Cookman-like instead of your Mays and Furmans because, like you just said, you might that increases more people getting to the gate. And in the end of the day, that means more attendance, means more money, but more tickets sold, more money, right? I mean, they're yeah. It, 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 are they better off scheduling the Bethunes or, uh, you know, FAMU even? You know, people always – you know, Miami always plays FAMU a lot and – the joke, a lot of people go just to see the FAMU band, for example. That was always the joke when Miami and FAMU would play. And, and people like to see that. So would they be better off playing teams local in the state? Now, obviously, the negative on that is, you know, there's pressure to win more than maybe normal. But, heck, I mean, we lost to Furman two years ago. So, I, well, I mean, pressure to win, I mean, come on. It's pressure to you're playing an, If you're playing an FCS opponent, you better right. freaking win the game. I don't care if it's I don't care if it's Bethune or Stetson or North Dakota State, who's actually pretty good. Um, I personally, I've always said this, and, and you, you, know, you and I have talked about this before. I believe in college football there should be a rule that says that if you're an FCS team and you schedule an F, or, or excuse me, if, if you're an FBS team and you schedule an FCS team, it must be a team from within your state's borders or from a border state. Like in, in Florida's case, it would be. It would be a team, you know, either within the state of Florida or from Georgia or uh, or Alabama. Uh, I would love to, you know, just to help out those schools that are, you know, relatively close by in terms of travel, and they're going to travel down to you. I I don't see the point in playing Maine. I mean, I know they probably had that scheduled out a while back, you know, when uh, when Coach O'Leary was around. Um, But well, no, I mean, what what, I mean, what happened was, uh, remember, UCF was slated to play Texas. In Texas. Oh, that's right. And that got moved. Two of the season, and it, and it got pushed back. And so now all of a sudden, you got to scramble. And what they they replaced it with the game against Maine. Uh, and it turned out that Maine was only available to play the fourth, you know, that weekend of September 30. That's what happened. But that, but that does open up, though. Like, if, you, if you're – if the rules are, look, you can only play teams from your state or a neighboring state, then that opens up the potential for not just, you know, FAMU and – Bethune, which I think you know, would be fun. You know, you get some local kids on those rosters too coming down. Um, I would like to see. I don't think this will ever happen. I hope I'm wrong, but you know who else is in FCS? Stetson. And yeah, but they're lower level than even the Bethunes. Are they're lower level, right? Aren't they the Pioneer League? Right? I mean, they got a. That's true. They but still got a. They're still FCS. So. Um, you know, you could you could theoretically schedule them at some point. I I, I don't know if Florida Tech is FCS. Um, 
let me check on that real quick. But um, but I know that you know, wouldn't it be fun to see uh, Florida, Tech, use, Florida I, I Tech is D two by I wouldn't use Florida the, Tech is D two. Yeah, I wouldn't use fun. I mean, some would. I mean, of I'm course not it would be fun to play Stetson no. football. Why not? No, because well, first of all, it's an FCS game. I don't like. I don't enjoy FCS games to begin with. Well, so I, I enjoy Maine. So at the very least, I agree. You can have the well, you, you I, I can it, have the I, intrigue of playing Stetson. You know, I mean, come on, we're both old timers. We remember I'd the rather, days when they when, when they rather, we I'd rather play. I rather play on the road. To be honest, <laughs> I mean, that, that, I, you know, I mean, I rather just play, okay, you know, play who on the road. <laughs> anybody that division one, yeah, literally. Like I hate FCS. <laughs> no, again, I understand why it is, and it is what it is, and that's cool. It's not like UCF. It's a, this is not a UCF thing. This is a whole. It are not alone. I mean, every a lot of. I mean, I would. I mean, you could probably. I would say. About 80, 90 percent of the college football plays at FCS opponents. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, so it's a part of it. And from UCF standpoint, it gives them, an, you know, they got an extra home game. And it was one of those situations where the Texas game got moved. So you got to fill it up. And it, you know, a lot of schedules are, as you mentioned, done in advance. So a lot of times FCS is the only route to go. Yeah. So a little bit more uh, ammo for my argument, by the way, that, uh, you know, if you did neighboring states, in-state or neighboring state only. That would open up the following teams. Bethune-Cookman, Florida A&M, Jacksonville, Stetson, Kennesaw State, Mercer, Savannah State, uh, Alabama A&M, Alabama State, Jacksonville State, and Samford. So, I mean, I like, I'm fine with the idea, but I'll never use fun as a, 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 a word to describe a game against an FCS opponent. I will never... Okay. Well, let me rephrase. Slightly more fun than the alternative. I don't even know I'm going that route either. Oh, just, come on, come on. No, I, I would I would love to see us play Stetson in football. It's just, just you you and your you and tails. yourself. Um, yeah, you and yourself. Enjoy. <laughs> all right. So so all right, let's put a bond. So again, um the opener, August thirty first, Thursday night, six PM on CBS Sports Network, but don't even bother paying attention to that. Just go to the game. It's at Spectrum Spectrum Stadium. Don't forget FIU um and uh, their head coach Butch Davis. Um in his and that would be his debut uh, with uh, FIU, the longtime Miami coach, and um, boy, that should be it. Should be at least interesting to see uh, what happens there. Of course, UCF kicked the tar out of FIU uh, last year. All right, moving on to a couple of um, other things I wanted to talk about. Um, Donald DeLahaye, UCF's uh, kickoff specialist, who. It's no surprise to anybody, in case you haven't missed it, um, Donald has a YouTube channel. And on this YouTube channel, he does all kinds of cool stuff. He does some, like, trick shots, you know, with place kicking. Some of the things that he does with the football are just unbelievable. Um, and he talks about, you know, some of his training and stuff like that. So, it's, you know, so he has this YouTube channel. He's become very good. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I'm a video production guy initially, and it's pretty well produced. So... UCF has he's put he's done uh, this is according to uh, Deadspin he's got fifty four thousand subscribers and two million page views. Um, yeah. you know, it, 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 he's uh, only uh, it says here only a few directly address his status as a UCF kicker, which naturally here it comes. Um, UCF's compliance office went to Donald and said, "Hey, listen." Love the YouTube channel and stuff, but you're going to have to stop because and because Donald has um, a number of um, 
uh, you know, he's got you know, such good subscriber numbers. Um, he is able to, you know, YouTube, which is owned by Google, is able to put ads on some of those videos. And so Donald was, um, you know, making a, just a little bit. I mean, it's it's basically they don't pay you that much. I mean, it, it's basically pocket change. And he was sending it back home to his folks um, in Costa Rica. So basically, NCAA, or, you know, or via UCF, you know, put their foot down and said, look, either you give up the YouTube channel or you stop playing for us. Well, it's not UCF. Hold on. It's not UCF. This is the NCAA. It, it, to, yeah, to be clear, you're absolutely right. It's the NCAA saying this, but UCF has to. Has to kind of be the bad guy, and well, and, well they ha- right. They got to protect their own interests, right. especially with the past discretions with uh, during the Keith Tribble era. So, of course, they got to play this on the conservative side. Absolutely. I mean, I would do the exact same thing. Uh, look, I think this is silly. Um, the kid obviously created a YouTube page. I don't even think he ever thought it would be this big to the point where he would be making money. It's unfortunate because you know a booster could probably pay, you know could pay for the team to go up to Italy Rome, or Rome, but you know hey if you're making money YouTube oh <laughs> right God forbid um, my thing is my solution to this would be well and I don't know what's taking place why not let him still do the YouTube page but he can't use any of the UCF athletics you know football helmets he can't use UCF stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Because isn't that the heart of it? Like if this just if he's just a regular student, then nobody would care. And and the funny thing is by this getting more attention, he's actually increased his YouTube page. Yeah. Um Deadspin, you know, I, picked I, up on it, a couple of national outlets picked up on yeah. it because you know because everyone likes to beat up on the NCAA. Um, you know, primarily. And, you know, for fairly good reason. Right. Um, but I feel like the simple solution is okay, keep doing the YouTube page, but uh, don't use or reference UCF, you know, cause, uh, and then you look, I mean, cause if you're really that creative and the talented, then the, the football shouldn't be another side of it. Now, some would argue, well, wait a minute. That's kind of the intrigue and all that. I don't know if that's intriguing, but, uh, I feel like that would be a fair compromise for all parties, which is probably why it won't happen. Cause usually the NCAA doesn't believe in interesting compromises, stuff like that. So, uh, look, I mean, the kid's going to fight for it and I think that's cool. Uh, but you know, we'll see what happens with it. Um, if the NCAA says, no, he's not eligible, then he's not eligible. And that's the way it goes. Well, on his YouTube channel, uh, he did say that he's going to, um, maybe it's time for someone to actually try to fight back. He says, um, and you know, it's, he said, it's about time for things to be changed. I, I, you know, I, I think, I think he's in a no-win situation here, unfortunately, because the NCAA's rules about what they consider to be amateurism are preposterous. Because, you know, like I said, you know, basically Donald Delahaye is an entrepreneur, right? And this is what college is for: is for teaching kids how to, you know, is for teaching kids how to have a career. And if college right. is a laboratory for doing this, you know, Donald Delahaye has a skill. And he's trying to market that skill. That's what you're taught to do. And the NCAA is basically putting the kibosh on that, you know, and taking away from what I believe his, from what I believe are his educational opportunities, which runs counter to the mission of the NCAA. Now, if the NCAA cha- decide to change their rules regarding amateurism to something more like the Olympic model, where you can 
you know, maintain sponsorships. You can do these sorts of things. It's just you can't, you know, directly you, – you, you can't do some, those sorts of, like, direct sponsorships. Um, I think that would be um, acceptable. But um, it's just – it's a real bummer. By the way <laughs> – since this news broke, he's bumped up over 3 million views on his YouTube channel. There you go. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's tough. I, I mean, I, I hope for the sake of him and his career, I, first of all, we know he's really talented. He might be in line to be UCF's place, you know, to be more than just a kickoff specialist in, uh, in the next couple of years. And, and, he, and he had this presence on YouTube, by the way, long before he was at UCF. Right. You know, no, I mean, this, this, on, this is on right. high school, too. So and this was coincidental stuff. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's not like, hey, I worked for a booster in a car dealership and I got side money on the side type of stuff. But this was a very innocent thing. But the NCAA always, you know, I'm very skeptical on that. And so it is what it is. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. So he's going to so he's going to appeal. We'll be following this one. I hope that um, that the NCAA starts to see clearly on this one but i just <laughs> but of course yeah. uh, just like you i'm sure i have absolutely zero faith that the ncaa will make the correct decision here so all right so um before we go to break and uh, don't forget we have brian murphy coming up next to talk about um baseball um little uh, uh, uh some sad news of course that we wanted to pass along um from some folks that we know pretty well in the ucf family so um many of you out there should know the name Tony DeChico. And Tony DeChico was the head coach of uh, the, UC, uh, the uh, USA women's soccer team from 1994 to 1999. Um, Tony passed away just recently um, uh, at the age of 68. And this is a, uh, this is a tough blow to the UCF family uh, for this reason. Michelle Akers, first of all, um, star for the USA Women's National Team as it was getting started, as it was gaining traction and building through the DeChico years leading up to the 99 World Cup, uh, played for Tony DeChico. So did Amanda Cromwell, who coached at UCF uh, in the women's soccer program for a decade. As did UCF's current head coach, Tiffany roberts Haydack. So a, a, a truly, you know, I think of the world of sports and those of us who know women's soccer, Eric, you and I have, have both covered UCF women's soccer um, for some time. And we both know coach Cromwell. We both know um, uh, coach Sahadak. Uh And, you know, it's, it's, it's really shocking news and sad news for them because, you know, we know how much, yeah, I, I don't think that it, people fully understand how much, um, uh, Tony DeChico meant to the growth of the game of women's soccer in the United States and how instrumental he was in building uh, the USA women's soccer into a power through people like Michelle Akers and Amanda Cromwell and Tiffany Roberts Sahadak. So, um, so, you know, our uh, thoughts and prayers go out to the DeChico family and, of course, um, you know, Michelle and uh, Tiffany and Amanda. Uh, on the loss of Tony. What do you remember most about Tony, Eric? Well, I think the one that remi reminds everybody was the uh, 1999 Women's World Cup when the United States beat China in the, in the Rose Bowl. Right. I mean, that was kind of really the, the big boom, right? The, the big turning point for the women's soccer game as a whole. The funny thing about Tony, 
and I don't know if people might remember this or not, uh, but when UCF Women's Soccer won the American Conference Tournament Championship, they hosted it uh, the first year, which was 2013. It was the fall, I believe. And they beat Rutgers in the championship game. The game was on ESPNU, and Tony was one of the analysts. He was the analyst. That's right. And uh, I remember that. That was the day. And I remember that day because I did. I was there for that match, and it was dramatic towards the end. And then from there, I went to uh, the Citrus Bowl because the U.S. women's national team was playing uh, Brazil in a friendly. So that was a huge day of women's soccer in this area. And, you know, coming up this fall, you've got the College Cup's going to be at the Orlando City Soccer Stadium in November. So, uh, this has been a, a great community for women's soccer, and, and Tony's a big part of it. And you just highlighted it, you know, with Michelle Akers was part of that '99 championship team, played under him. Amanda Cromwell played under him, uh, and, and so did Sahadaker. So there's a lot of ties towards UCF from that standpoint in the tra- tradition of women's soccer. So uh, yeah, it's not a tough day for the sport. I mean, he was definitely a legend. I would say him and Coach Dorrance, right? The coach at North Carolina are probably two of the most famous coaches in women's soccer. Uh, if you kind of, you know, if you did a, a short list about the people that people know, and I, you know, no question about that. Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing that I wanted to, you know, I did want to pass that along. And, you know, to those of you who, you know, maybe you don't follow women's soccer all that closely, but, you know, here at UCF, you should, because if, uh, um, if it's not for Tony DeChico, I don't think UCF women's soccer is where it is right now. Um, and you can draw a straight line back from Tiffany, from Tiffany Roberts-Hadak and Amanda Cromwell uh, straight back to Tony DeChico and Michelle Akers. And, um, and again, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to the USA uh, women's soccer family and to, uh, and to Tony's family as well, who, uh, by the way, his son was actually, um, uh, was actually on Amanda Cromwell's coaching staff at UCLA briefly, so... Um, so, and, you know, again, our, you know, thoughts, uh, and, and well wishes go out to everyone involved. So, all right. So, um, listen, let's, uh, take a quick break and we get, and when we get back, we will have Brian Murphy on to talk, uh, UCF baseball, kind of wrap up the season from his perspective, uh, and also talk about, um, you know, UCF and the baseball in the MLB draft, uh, and open up the cupboard and see what's left <laughs> for UCF baseball, uh, heading into uh, the 2017-2018 uh, season. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. 
Uh, and don't forget to vote in our uh, 2017 Bannies Awards. Just look for show number 50. Uh, we're going to have that pinned on our Facebook page uh, as well. And I've been trying to tweet it out throughout the week. Make sure if you haven't voted yet, make sure you do. Uh, follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. And follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Hit us up on Facebook uh, as well. Just look up Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, all right. Let's talk a little baseball. And uh, I know we've been, uh, I know it's been a little while, but we do have some news to talk about with uh, our baseball guy, Brian Murphy, Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter, uh, who's been so good for us this entire year covering UCF baseball. Uh, wanted to put a bow on the baseball season here uh, and also talk about what happened with the draft and a couple other little tidbits as well that I think you'll find interesting uh, regarding some teams uh, elsewhere in the conference. So uh, without further ado, here's our interview with Brian Murphy. <laughs> All right, and joining us now is our resident baseball writer for blackandgoldbanneret.com, all-around whiz kid and knower of all things, Brian Murphy. What's up, Brian? How are you? Hello, Jeffrey. I, I did not pay you to say that. The, the <laughs> listeners should know uh, that I am that you are not in my pocket, and I feel very, uh, uh, very honored to have such an introduction, a lofty introduction. I can only hope. To, to fulfill that sort of promise you've made, now made to listeners. It is merely an understatement. Welcome aboard once again. Oh. So, I'm, listen, I, I, I wanted to have you on because we didn't have you on like right after baseball season finished, and you got a couple good, you got, you got a couple, uh, good pieces up on blackandgoldbanneret.com, kind of you know, wrapping up the mm-hmm. season here, and, and, uh, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about UCF baseball in the draft and um, and a couple of other things, but I, I guess my first thing is for you. You know, now that we've had time to digest the end of the season, you know, it was kind of a bitter. A, a, I would say a, a rather, you know, bittersweet end to what was a, a pretty terrific season. You know, forty wins. No one yeah. thought that would happen. Regular season title and all that. Um, what was your impression of how things kind of played out with the way the American conference tournament ended and the way, and you know, two and out in Tallahassee, kind of a disappointing end, but is that what, is that what you felt? Is that what the players felt about it? Or did they kind of have better, a little bit more perspective on it? Well, coming out of the, of the conference tournament, it was okay. Right. Because like, you know, if you think about it, you know, maybe if they had won the, if they had won the tournament, uh, you know, so they would maybe gotten a little, uh, maybe, maybe a slightly different bracket. Would they, would they have faced Florida instead of Florida state? Who knows? Um, but coming out of there, you, they knew that they had something to look forward to. They knew that they were going to play more baseball. So yeah, I think they were disappointed, but it wasn't like, again, it wasn't the end of the world. Uh, and being there on selection day, uh, that Monday, and they were very ecstatic and, and ready to go up to Tallahassee. Um, and I remember, you know, talking to Coach Lovelady and talking to uh, Luke Hamblin, the senior outfielder, talking about how, you know, we'll never forget this, a, a goal we've always dreamed of. And uh, that's great. What they probably should forget are those two games in Tallahassee. Because, like, not to sugarcoat it, that was, that was two really rough games. It was a quick exit, and it wasn't necessarily a pretty exit. I will say that there are two things, I guess, if you want to, put some lipstick on it. Um, Robbie Howell, in his final start as a Knight, uh, gave a tremendous effort, effort against uh, Auburn uh, in, in the first game of uh, UCF's NCAA tournament. He got the loss, but he pitched, I think, like 120 pitches, something like that. Um, he had some bad defense behind him, too, which didn't help. But he really gave a gutsy, gutsy effort to close out his career. 
And then on the next day, uh, Jason Barr, I believe, struck out all struck out six guys in two innings uh, to sort of end his career too, since he got drafted. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, those are the two things that kind of you want, like having that has something that like you wanted to look back on from that tournament. You could do those two things. Otherwise, it was ugly. It was quick. It was pretty forgettable. And the best thing for those kids to do who are either graduating or coming back is to think about all the good times that they had from February through April uh, and into May. And then it's like, yeah, once we got Tallahassee, something happened. We don't remember, whatever. But, but Brian, don't you think that kind of exposed that really this team may be overachieved? I, I feel like Coach Lovelady, and I, and I said this in the last podcast, that to me, Greg Lovelady is the UCF coach of the year because I think he maximized the most out of this roster. This is not an yeah. offense that really scared anybody. And all of a sudden, you go into a regional. You know, Auburn throws a guy that's I think is going to end up getting drafted, and it's going to be a it could be a guy that could be maybe flirting with the big leagues. And then because Florida State was upset in the opening game that night by Tennessee yeah. Tech, now they're going to throw Tyler Holton their ace against you. And I, I just think this was a story where the offense finally caught up with UCF. And at the end of the day, that's kind of all things considered. If, uh, if I would have told you in January, hey, you'd be going to Tallahassee and uh, making an NCAA tournament for the first time in five years, I still think we'd take it. Absolutely. I think anybody in UCF's position would. I mean, new new coach, you know, first year, coming off of, of an awful 2016 where you, where you, like, at the end of the last season, you had the feeling like, well, there's going to be a new change. There's going to be a change here before before – next season than there was. So yeah, everything about that was great. Getting there was fantastic and no one really expected it, but you're right. Elo. I mean, this team had some strength. Uh, and although the conference stats don't really bear it out, their offense wasn't great. It wasn't it, like I said, there was nothing to really fear in this offense. There were players that were good uh, with, with Luke Hamblin and Ryland Thomas and Ian Putnam, but this was not a, a juggernaut offense. And when you run into pitchers like that, uh, that Auburn threw up there and, and Florida State ace, like it, it didn't, it wasn't really surprising that they were a little overwhelmed um, because that was the one area of this team um, that, you know, never, I, I think never, they were never fully satisfied. I think Lovely was never fully satisfied with the offense this year. They did some good things, but he always said that, you know, he's looking to be better. And that wasn't just coach speak. I think he really thought this team could be better. Maybe he was too optimistic. Uh, offensively, but yeah, the offense was not uh, built to beat those kind of quality pitchers. Well, <laughs> if it wasn't built now, boy, there's some rebuilding that has to be done now because when you look yeah. at uh, UCF in the draft, I mean, obviously we've talked before about the guys who um, you, you know who who you're losing out of your uh, senior class. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and just to you know, just quickly to run down some of those names, for example. Um, you know, uh, you know, Trent Thompson's going to be gone. You know, I'm just going up down the roster. Drew Faintick, um, Eli Putnam, who you mentioned earlier, Juan Pimentel, Brandon Bozeman, Austin Griffin, who didn't really have a great year, but still a guy in the lineup who was there. You know, Ryan Cryle, Luke Hamblin, Brooks Morgan, Cam Gellinger. Those are the seniors that you lose. And then in the draft, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, hat tip to Brandon Helwig because he was following the MLB draft as closely as everybody else was, you lose. Um, you, you had a couple guys get drafted. Jason Barr got picked in the fifth round. 
uh, by the San Francisco yeah. Giants, which what a story for him, right? I mean, that's fantastic. Robbie Howell, as fantastic. expected, uh, was drafted in the tenth round by the Cincinnati Reds. Um, Jordan Sheffs, the reliever, um, selected by the Cleveland Indians, uh, and then a, and then a few signees. Jordan Spicer, who was a Polk State College uh, uh, pitcher, who was picked by the Twins, he was supposed to transfer to UCF. Christopher Ceezy, who was a uh, uh, who was also a commit to UCF from West Orange High School. Um, he went 29th overall in the draft to the Texas Rangers, so he got dr- taken pretty, uh, uh, pretty high. And then in the fourth round, mm-hmm. the Rangers also picked um, uh, a right-handed pitcher by the name of Ryan Deese, who is also a UCF um, baseball uh, commit. So <laughs> I guess my question is, what's left <laughs> heading into 2018? Do you want the good news or the let's, bad news? St- I've always been the kind of guy who wants to start with the – give me the bad news first, and then let's yeah. end on a good note. So what's the bad news first? The bad news is we just talked about how this offense really wasn't consistently impressive this year, and now they've got some – like a lot – like if there's one issue, the one issue on this team, it's the offense. I mean, you have Rylan Thomas. Who again? Freshman of freshman of the year, freshman hitter of the year in the conference, uh, very good. They have two decent catchers in uh, Anthony George uh, and uh, the second catcher. I'll have to look on the roster. Name's blanking on me right now. Um, Heiser and Matthew. Yeah, Logan Heiser, correct. Right. And Anthony George. So catcher is set. You've got you've got Rylan Thomas at first base and Matthew Micah who can play in, you know, around the infield. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they tried him in the outfield in the corner spot somewhere. Outside of those three guys, there's really nothing in this offense that's proven. And losing Hamblin and Putnam, not only because they were leading hitters, they were like at the top of the lineup there. So basically you have to rebuild the entire top of the lineup. Uh, and outside of your cleanup hitter and Micah and the catcher spot, I'm not really sure what this offense is going to look like next year. That's going to be the major overhaul of this team. Um, and, you know, again, it's just worrisome because if the offense wasn't up to, up to love lady standard this year, uh, next year, I think it's going to be a real, a real grind. And you're going to have a lot of permuta- lineup permutations early on, I believe. And that's going to take a long time to see which combination works best. Yeah, it feels like if they get off to a slow start, it's like, you know, people are going to be critical, and I don't think that's fair because, I mean, look at the mm-hmm. ammunition that they just lost, you know. Uh, you know, I don't know. And then on, on top of that, you know, we talked about the pitching that they've just lost too. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, they, lo- they, they basically break. lost they basically lost their the top of the lineup and the entire left side of their infield because Cam Gellinger, uh, although he had some hard times at third base, uh, was an everyday player. Uh, and Brennan Bozeman, who got hurt early on but came back, was a real solidifying force up the middle when this team needed some good defense, mm-hmm. and he provided it. So your entire left side of your infield, your entire top of the lineup, a couple outfielders, uh, all gone. Uh, and it's it's just there were seniors. I mean, you knew this team, Jeff, you knew too, that had a lot of seniors coming in, and a lot of those seniors were, were uh, impactful players uh, on the offense. And now they need to fill a lot of holes. Well, the good thing is they're. Uh, I mean, Chris Williams is supposed to be coming back on the hill, as is Joe yeah. Sheridan. We know how good Joe was this year. Uh, 
Uh, Pimentel's yeah. gone. I think it, Bryce Tucker. Um, I, is he a senior? I forget, I forget exactly. Bryce Tucker. No, he was no, only a sophomore. Oh, that's right. Okay, he's coming back. So at least you have that coming back. Mm-hmm. Man, this pitching staff also got decimated. They're probably going to have to call upon. When you think about it, they're probably going to have to call upon Ryland Thomas to do a lot more pitching next year. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, we're forgetting, guys. I mean, don't forget, Creek Frinfrock missed the entire yeah, year. That's true, also. Surgery. Yeah. So they hopefully get him back. And I think they look, I mean, this is college baseball in a nutshell. I mean, you're going to have constant turnover. And Murph, I think the positive is look, let's see what Lovelady brings in, right? There's a reason why we have a new Greg Lovelady's here. Now this is mm-hmm. where the job really begins. He's got to recruit. He's gonna he's gonna depend on some young guys. I know they they're excited about a kid that's gonna play shortstop for them next year, and it's just a matter of can the pitching carry them again and, and, until the offense kind of you know sorts itself out. Where no question they're gonna have to have some of the newcomers uh, are gonna have to win jobs and step up right away. Yeah, and I think you know again again that might lead to some some rough beginnings, as you guys said, and then there's going to be, there's going to need to be uh, a sort of uh, an incubation period for this offense because it's going to take a while, but yeah, leading into the pitching. So maybe they, maybe they can't, maybe Joe Sheridan can't be as good as he was, uh, or, or Chris Williams won't be as good as he was to end this season. If you take away, you know, really that, that start against Florida state and just look at like his last five or six out, like four or five outings, he was, really really good so i think at least if you uh, the bright spot is on the mound uh sheridan and williams look like i think locks for the weekend rotation sheridan might find his way into friday depending on how friend frock comes back uh so with if, if he comes back well and healthy uh that that's actually not a bad looking rotation if the guys like williams and sheridan keep it going then the, the bullpen uh, you talked about Barr got drafted and Chess got drafted, so there's going to need to be some 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 rebuilding there. But I mean, Bryce Tucker was for 90% of the season uh, very very good. Uh, he was a closer and dominating at that. Uh, Thad Ward too is also a nice piece to have, um, you know, in middle relief. He was extremely good. So uh, at least I think again the the good news is the on the pitching side of this team. Uh, not only is the the cupboard, I, we know what they, we kind of know what they have. The cupboard's not empty, and there's reason to be optimistic. It's not as much of a mystery as the offense. Well, I, here's hoping that you're right about that because I know that you, you know. I, I thought that you know, we Eric and I both thought that you know, one of the things that really helped out Greg Lovelady in his first year was that he had that that core group of seniors that bought in with him really early, and I. And I yeah. guess we'll end on this note. You know, we saw Love Lady how emotional he was after the last game when they mm-hmm. lost to Florida State. And um, you know, I have not, I can't recall the last time. I mean, I am sure I, I'm sure I'm blanking on something, but I can't recall the last time that I saw um, a UCF coach, you know, that emotional over the last time he got to play with a particular group of players and. You know, mm-hmm. in, in the span of one year, to be that emotionally invested, um, you know, between the players, that that much of a really a love affair, I think, between the players and their coach in one year, I think just speaks volumes about um, about the job that Greg Lovelady did. Um, do you recall ever seeing mm-hmm. anything like that? Was it? Did you? What did you think about that? I was trying to think of like if if I could ever remember like Bergman 
ever getting to that sort of level. But no, and it's not like that's a fault on, you know, right. I can remember Bergman and Rooney. And But the thing with, with Love Lady is that's not, uh, that's not an act. Like he is that he, 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 he was emotional. Obviously very emotional on Joe Skinner night where he could hardly keep it together. Didn't know we we're going to have a post game. Uh, that. And then once they won the regular season title over at USF, uh, uh, you know, cry, you know, really legitimately crying again about uh, the, the, what it meant for him to move his family over the year, you know, from a place they had known for so long at Wright State to go and take this risk in Orlando. He's an emotional guy. It's real. It's legitimate. And I think, uh, you know, people might, you know, have their gripes. But the, the fact of the matter is, when you, your kids want to play for that because yeah. it shows how much he cares. And if he cares that much, the kids could, should care at least, at least as much. Just put their, you know, it, it, it really kind of um, validates everything he says, everything he coaches because he shows you how much this means to him. And I think it's, 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 um, it's not something that everybody has or needs to have, but for him, it's fantastic because uh, if nothing else, and this is sort of selfish, but if nothing else, it really works in recruiting because it, it shows you how much this means to love lady and he can pass it on to his players pretty easily. Well, it's easy for me Burr. to say I would, I, if I was, a, if I was a recruit, I'd run through a brick wall for a guy like that. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah. Well, Murph, you mentioned Rooney. Let, let's talk about the story that's come out this week. Terry Rooney will be seeing him, him again. He's now the pitching coach assistant at Houston, which is phenomenal storyline on many levels. Number one, anybody that's followed this program knows that Houston, with Rooney and that Houston coaching staff, they had some run-ins in particular a couple of years ago. 2015, I'll never forget uh, a series in UCF where UCF won the series two out of three and both teams almost – uh, you know, they were some choice words. We'll leave it as that uh, back and, and forth. And were flaring <laughs> and to the point where we thought there could be a fight that break out. And now after spent, you know, obviously spent the year as the pitching coach at Alabama and with coach Goff at Alabama getting fired. Now Rooney's in Houston in the conference. So uh, that will be certainly when the, whenever the schedule comes out, that'll be certainly one of the storylines in 2018. Now, uh, next year, UCF will go to Houston, but certainly uh, fascinating your reaction to Rooney now in the conference back with Houston. Well, you, you expect him to say nothing but glowing things. He's not going to be acrimonious, I don't think, just because he's so overly positive. So it's not like he's going to stir the pot and say things that's going to get the fan base riled up. But at least having him on the other, in the other dugout, uh, you know, hopefully it's, it, it's you know in the home series. Uh, the fans will not forget, certainly. Uh, so yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. We'll, you know, we'll talk about it. We'll cover it. Does it? I mean, will it mean a lot for the actual game? Eh, probably not. But it's 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 a great thing to talk about. It's a storyline. It's drama. He's coming back to this to this school where he had so much hope and optimism, and it didn't pan out the way he wanted. And uh, now he's on his way back, and uh, now he's you know kind of in a way trying to beat you. But he won't stir the pot, uh, I don't believe. And, uh, you know, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun. I agree. And I will say, Elo, because uh, I haven't been following that closely, that that was news to me. So you broke that to me right now. I appreciate that very much. Well, I saw it break um, earlier, like, like this afternoon. And I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting. So, so I know, Brian, that you'd said that. Um, 
you know, hey, I, I don't know that you, you know he's not going to stir the pot. We know that Rooney's not going to stir the pot externally, but internally behind closed doors, uh-huh. there's some pots going to be stirred. <laughs> okay, when those right, right, right. Well, I mean, the yeah. thing is, the thing is too. Now that series next year is in Houston, and a lot of the players. As you mentioned, Murph, we've talked about it, have moved on. So by the time, you know, next year, I mean, there's going to be a lot of new faces. Now, some of them Rooney probably is recruited. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the old guard players won't be there. But still, obviously, the fans in two years, whenever Houston comes back to UCF, and if Rooney's still there, then uh, that'll certainly be interesting. Uh, kind of like it was when Cliff Godwin took over at East Carolina and faced Terry Rooney. I mean, that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We got UCF ties, man, all over this conference with yep. Coach Godwin. <laughs> At East Carolina and Coach Palumbo. I mean, this is great, right? I mean, we're we're just spreading the wealth. It's too it's too bad that Cam Gellinger has graduated because he was the I one. I was just thinking yeah. that. <laughs> Man, he when he called it fake hustle. Uh, that like, fake fake effort, like man. And Cam's a great talker. He's wearing the chains. He's got the big you know the big beard, and he's he's a great dude. And I would I would absolutely love to have him back for a year just for that series. I mean, give him literally three more days of eligibility. I, I would love to just, yeah, I would love to see him, like, back maybe in the stands. <laughs> see what happens there. That's <laughs> cool stuff, yeah. Brian. All right. Well, hey, listen, can't thank you enough for the great work you did on covering UCF baseball for us this uh, this entire year. Uh, as we head toward the summer, what are you going to be working on uh, as we head into the summer and then uh, into the fall here? Not just for us, but for, uh, for every, anywhere else where people can catch you. Uh, I'm, I do a lot of, of fantasy stuff. I mean, when I'm, I'm, I mean, my passion is covering real games like this college and pro, but my job right now is a lot of fantasy. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at spokes underscore Murphy, and you can ask me fantasy baseball, fantasy football questions of what I do, but really, you know, I'm looking forward to football in the fall because college football, there's nothing like it unless you go over 11, which UCF kind of knows we have we've been that we've been there before here's to hoping that doesn't happen again all right fantasy football got it thanks i'm gonna need your help this year to beat eric you know <laughs> all right brian murphy from uh, from our excuse me our baseball writer for black and gold banner com. brian thank you once again uh stay in touch over the summer and uh we'll be hollering at you again soon all right man all right thanks boys and thanks again to brian for joining us again catch him at spokes underscore uh, Murphy, uh, where you can ca- where he can uh, catch you up on everything having to do with uh, not just UCF baseball, but everything around the world of sports as well. So, uh, and I will be enlisting his help, Eric, in order to beat you this fantasy football season. Beautiful. Good luck. You can do, use all the help you can get. I really could. So, uh, by the way, it's, it, like I said, it's June. It's late June, so we're looking at what, two more months until fantasy football draft time already. That's right, brother. Oh, man. Clock ticking. This is, uh, this is getting real quick right now. So, all right. So, once again, just a reminder to you, make sure you vote for the Bannies, our 2017 uh, Black and Gold Banner at Postseason Award show. Uh, make sure you log on to our previous show, actually, show number 50, um, to get to the uh, voting surveys that we have up there uh, via SurveyMonkey. Uh, we have them up there as well. Uh, Thanks to everyone who's already voted. If you haven't voted, make sure you do it uh, right away. We will have our award show um, next week, early next week. I'm thinking we're going to close the polls on Sunday night, Eric, 
and uh, and finish this thing off. And uh, and our next show is going to be the awards. Now, throughout the summer, like we said, we're going to have some interviews with some UCF newsmakers here and there. We're going to kind of throttle back our production a little bit because it's um, you know not going to be um, obviously it's not so busy. Uh, if something crazy happens, you can expect you know one of those emergency podcasts like we've had earlier this year that we'll be doing. But you know, keep an eye out. We're, we're reaching out to some folks who we might want to interview, and I think we hopefully we'll get a couple of really good bites here and there. So, uh, what else you got coming up, Eric? Not much, just getting uh, laying low. It's summertime and just kind of figuring it all out. Obviously, I got my own podcast for you softball uh, listeners out there. Uh, oh, yeah, this is in good. This is good news, too. In the, the In the Circle podcast. Tell us about your news with that. Yeah, In the Circle now on Fast Pitch News on fastpitchnews.com. You can listen to it. It's uh, pod, two podcasts a week. And uh, we break down the latest news in uh, softball and college, pro softball. And uh, we interview a lot of coaches and players from the con- from across the country. And uh, you can listen to it on the many same platforms that you can listen to this podcast as well. So uh, that'll also keep me occupied. I'm Mr. Podcast, man. I just, uh, I'm just going to pop in in every podcast I can get. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you're a media mogul, man. You're, you got podcasts all over the place between this one and that one. Um, and, and Victor is on there, too. Our, fr- our buddy. Victor That's correct. Too, right. Yeah, he produces that one, and uh, yeah, so I mean, it's if you're a softball fan, and I know some of you are, uh, know my work there from doing UCF softball, which, you know, we'll still do that from time to time as well, but uh, this is more of a national softball, really a unique thing, and uh, so excited to be the partnership with the Fast Pitch News and uh, cover the whole sport, so uh, that's kind of the fun thing, you know, it's kind of like what's unique about this, right? It's just us and Nightline do UCF podcast, and I'm the only one doing a softball podcast. Well, I know that you and Victor, you know, it should be no surprise to anyone here who know, know you guys as well as I do. We've known each other for a long time. That you guys are as plugged into the softball world as anyone uh, that's out there. So uh, congratulations on that. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting that big platform. That's awesome, dude. Appreciate it, man. Looking forward to it. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be my summer, basically, Uh we do this podcast, and we'll do obviously softball podcast, but uh, yeah, we'll make it work. It's fun and it's easy, and then uh, it's the way of the future. That's right, man. Hey, specific content that people actually really like, you know, and, and listen, and and that goes right to a specific audience, you know, and that's why we do this. So it should be fun. All right, Eric. So uh, make sure you listen to him again in the circle. Uh, and fi- Eric, people can follow you where on Twitter once again. Eric Lopez Elo follow me at jeff underscore sharon you can follow us uh at black or excuse me at ucf underscore banneret special thanks to brian murphy our guest from earlier you can follow him at spokes underscore murphy on twitter as well don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play soundcloud and tune in radio and make sure also uh, that you leave us a rating on itunes uh, let us know how we're doing uh, and also reach out to us at blackandgoldbanneret.com or on our Facebook page to search up Black and Gold Banneret. So for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to vote for the Bannies 2017 on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Our final award show will be happening next week. Thank you so much for listening. Good night and go Knights.